What's up, everybody? This is Carmine Davis, and you are listening to The Carmine Davis Show. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? How are y'all doing? How's your heart? Um, everything is pretty Gucci over here. It was a pretty, pretty, pretty cool week. Um, a kind of a lot going on in the media right now. Um, not all, not all great. I mean, not all bad, you know, and not all great. You know, Tiger Woods' issues that he had going on, child, is a mess. And we're going to talk about Tiger Woods, um, shortly. But before we go on, just a lot to unpack in this last week about the whole Tiger Woods situation. Before we go on, make sure you follow, rate, subscribe, like, and review this podcast. Share it. Share the wealth. We have a really, really great show. We only have four. After this, there'll be three more episodes left. Oh my God. Is that right? Let me check. That can't be right. Three more episodes. Three. Three more episodes after this one airs. We're on our monthly season it would be our season finale and we'll go on hiatus for a month oh my god three more shows and i i'm not gonna lie to you i don't have shit planned for them i just got word (laughs) that we were going i was going to do it like the when i announced it last week i'm not even gonna lie like i had no idea that i was going to do a hiatus but it made sense and to do a season i was just going to keep going keep going keep going but we only have three more episodes. Oh my God. It's like an end of a um three more episodes of the season. It's like, oh my God. But we're gonna come back. We got big plans. A lot of great things. We're coming back bigger and better than before. Um, I got some really, really exciting plans and exciting guests that are coming and coming down the pipeline. But anyway, let's focus on the present and what's going on right now. Of course, everybody's talking about um, Tiger Woods's car accident. Well, actually, can I be, I'm gonna keep it, I'm gonna keep it real. Nobody to me that I know of is talking about this um, Tiger Woods situation. And I'm gonna tell you why, (laughs) I'm gonna tell you why. I know it's a big thing in sports world, but in our world, it's not. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. This love um, hot topic, we always start off with a hot topic. And this one is no different. And it's coming from lovebscott.com. Shout out to lovebscott. Um, Tiger Woods won't face charges as car crash was purely an accident, says LA County Sheriff. Tiger Woods will not be facing any criminal charges in connection on Tuesday's car crash that landed him in the hospital, according to the Los Angeles County Sheriff. During a virtual press briefing on Wednesday, um, L.A. County Sheriff Alex Villanueva, Villanueva, you know, I'll butcher a name, um, said the 45-year-old golfer will not face any criminal charges as the incident was purely an accident. We don't, con- to, we don't contemplate any charges whatsoever, Villanueva said. This remains an accident. An accident is not a crime. They do not happen, unfortunately. They do happen, unfortunately. 
Willanova noted during the news conference that Woods did not show evidence of impairment when a deputy first arrives on the scene. So calling in a, calling so calling in a drug recognition expert was not a concern at the time. The sheriff also said that investigators will not pursue a misdemeanor charge against Woods, such as reckless driving. He noted an infraction could be possible if evidence arises to support that. This is what it is. This is what it is. An accident, Villanova said. A reckless driving charge has a lot of elements to it. This is purely an accident. Woods was involved in a single vehicle accident near the communities of Roland Hills Estates and Rancho Palos um, Verdes. Rancho Palo Verdes, located in Los Angeles County, on Tuesday morning. According to the law enforcement officials, Woods' 2020 Genesis GV80 SUV was traveling downhill when it struck a sign in the center divider, sheared, shredded through a tree, and landed in the bushes alongside the road with major damage. First responder had to use tools to help extricate Woods from the vehicle, which had flipped over multiple times. Woods was transported to Harbor UCLA Medical Center where he underwent surgery for significant orthopedic injuries to his right lower extremities. <laughs> Extremity. According to a statement issued to his official Twitter page on Tuesday night, Anish Majan, MD Chief, uh, Chief Medical Officer at Harbor UCLA Medical Center, said in a statement that Wood suffered fractures affecting both the upper and lower portions of his, the tibia and fibular bones were were stripped were stabilized of inserting a rod into the athlete's leg whatever um he also suffered additional injuries in his foot and ankle that have been stabilized with a combination of screws and pins accidents happen tiger's lucky this could have been way worse according to wood's team the golfer is now awake responsive and recovering in his hospital room Okay, so I kind of butchered the article. Um, so make sure you click the link in the description to read it for yourself. But you basically got the gist. Um, I, nobody I know is talking about this. I found out about it at the bar Tuesday night. Like, I had no idea that this happened. And I think, honestly, like... Tiger Woods is somebody who I've always kind of not that look for the record. I don't think that, oh, he has it coming or any, I don't I don't think that, you know, I don't think because he married a white woman that, you know, he is down and, you know, he's not black. I just think a lot of the shit he says and does is questionable. So, I, you know, I kind of feel like Tiger Woods. I was on, I, uh, this is a kind of, well, I mean, I never shot away from Touchy's conversations before, so why should I do it now? Okay, um, um, in short, uh, God bless Tiger Woods and what happened to him and his family and prayers for a speedy recovery, but I don't care what happens to Tiger Woods um, because I feel like Tiger Woods is an asshole. Am I the only one that gets that? I don't know what happened in the past. I'm not going to put too much thought into it. That's how little I care about Tiger Woods. Like, I want him to live and I want him to continue. When I hear about him winning something, I'm always like, cool, you know, 
yeah, brother, you know, do that. But uh, Tiger Woods, to me, always gave me the impression that he did not even want to be considered a brother. You know, he was, what did he call it? What did he, what did he say he was? He wouldn't admit a beat to me in black. Now, this was years ago. I remember, I don't, I, he said he was, he, yeah, he said it was Cablanasian. A mix of Caucasian, black, Indian, and Asian. Um, Cablasian. I don't know why that rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not here to discuss the technicalities. This is my show. I'm just here to tell you how I feel about it. And I don't like it. I I feel like there's something about Tiger Woods that I just don't like. And it's the Cablasian comment and a couple of things. I didn't like the whole. I, I, a lot of he, a lot of things that he did in his career, I'm not a fan of. So, but I do wish him well. I wish for a speedy recovery. Um, I didn't want him to die. For the record, I didn't want him to be injured. I would love to see him playing again. But I don't like Tiger Woods. So. There's that. I mean, I, I, I don't like him. You know what I mean? Like, there is something always about him. I, he reminds me of one of those um, Cablasians in high school who went on and married a white woman and hated every black woman and thought they were, you know what I mean? Like, he probably voted for Trump. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. From the hood, but you know, got his first white girlfriend, moved in with her parents on the north side, and never looked back. I don't know. I don't know. I don't really like it. But God bless Tiger Woods and his family, you know, and his team and everything. You know, I pray for a speedy recovery. I hope nothing um, but blessings are bestowed upon him, but I don't like him. Okay, so we're moving on. Okay, so before we move on to the next segment, if you are just tuning in, um, you know, you're probably having a hookup um, with some boy and, you know, he's, what the fuck are you listening to? He's playing his podcast while you were in the bathroom dishing or whatever, washing your ass, and now you're coming up. And damn, this is so sexy and informative. How do I follow this person? You make sure you go to um, follow me on Spotify, Apple, anywhere, um, podcast. You listen to podcasts for the Carmine Davis Show and follow, rate, subscribe, like, and review this podcast because I want... Don't do it for my health, okay? So the second segment is always dedicated to the spotlight artist segment it's um where i kind of talk about an artist or an album a song um an era of music or a concept that i come up with in music or a particular person of interest in music and this one um this one came up because um i have been having this paranoia of being exploited <laughs> in the industry i've i've been um getting like looking over and having conversations with different people about uh, my career and taking it to the next level 
So that's talking to people and deals and like signing and, and all this kind of stuff. And I, even though they're like small, there's nothing really, really, really big, big on the table. I am terrified of being exploited. Um, my, my, <laughs> my, um, inner circle know like that's my biggest fear is like losing ownership of everything that I do and having it and being exploited by someone else because I have been exploited slightly and like to the point where I had to fight for my social media channels like it was it was really 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 bad at one point so I'm terrified of being completely exploited and I immediately thought about the story of um uh, what's his name Frank Farion. And if you don't know who Frank Farion is, he is the one who kind of discovered Billy Vanilli and other like a lip sync artist. He used to sell like, a, well, if you know who he is, he's a white man who basically exploited every black artist that came in his way because his music didn't sell for himself. Um, Frank Farion, which is, I, I love the story of Frank Farion because it's such a story. It's a tale as old as time. Like I just like basically stated. Um, Frank started releasing solo music in like the 60s and it received little to no attention in his country. I want to say he's from the Netherlands. I don't remember. But 1971, he began to like work on a producers for like works like Meatloaf and Stevie Wonder. But in 1974, he kind of did a dance track called Baby Do You Want to um Do You Want to Bump or something like that that was leased in um in the Netherlands or other countries by he went by another name by Boney M at this time. And this is I kind of it's kind of a creepy story. I I kind of even when I talk about it, it is really really weird how far this man went to exploit the black people in his career. Anyway, he basically was like over not getting the attention that he wanted to look to. If you Google Frank, um, he's not the prettiest boy in the world. Like, so I felt like that he realized that that had something to do with the fact that he was not selling these records. And again, these are, are like with songs like baby, do you want to bump? These are like R and B and hip hop. Well, R and B disco influenced songs. So he eventually shot away from the public eye, but but that didn't stop him from writing and creating music. So basically what he did was hire this black man who, um, from, uh, another country, I, they lived in Germany. Frank is from Germany. And so he got this, um, attractive black man and these three beautiful black women to sing, um, as a group. And they, he fronted the group, the bony M or whatever it was called, but he never released a picture of himself. So when it was time to do shows and promotional things, he had these four black people fronted by this one black guy um, that he liked the fact that he could dance. He loved the way he could sing to perform these songs, but they were from his vocals. Like the main vocalist was not the guy that the black guy that he hired. It was him. He was singing on the song, but using the black people's image. And like, people are like, you know, uh, like living for them. Like Boney M was a big group. They sold like a hundred million records worldwide. They have two, like eight top eight hits or top 10 hits. Like this was a big group. A hundred million records sold worldwide. Google Boney M. And if you just don't know them, just 
off the top, but this was a, a black group with a white man singing the song. And sure, like, okay, maybe he had to sing or pretend he was using this. Um, he was actually singing from this white man's voice. He's getting paid, right? Like, this black man and his group only got like 9% to split among each other um, of the royalties. And they also signed an agreement that put them in a position where they signed over their houses and all of their possessions. You know what I mean? Like it was all entitled to the label. So basically when Bobby later on, I mean, um, the guy, the lead singer was Bobby and Frank ends up firing Bobby because he felt like he was unreliable. He was unable to perform. He couldn't, he was temperamental. He wasn't really acting right on stage. He ended up firing him and there was nothing this man could do about it. He went home broke in a worse situation than he ever was at the beginning. And this man moved on and replaced him with a whole nother black male singer. And they recorded all the way up into the eighties. This group came out in the seventies, sixties, and they recorded all the way up to the eighties, switching faces, like switching people around the group. But Frank's voice was still in the forefront. So Eventually, the the group breaks up in like 1996, 1997, 98 or some era like that. But Frank already moved on and got his whole, got a new set of monkeys. You know what I'm saying? Like, and there was two dancers that he ran across in Germany named Rob and Fab. Um, Rob was a model and um, an aspiring background singer who um, was just looking for work. And Fab, um, Fabrizio, or whatever his real name is, was um, from France. Looking, He was a rapper, and he wanted to be a dancer. And they were just looking for work. And Franklin, Frank met the two, thought they were gorgeous, and formed a group with them named Millie Vanilli. Right? But Frank, actually, they already were together before Frank came along. They did a group, I mean, did an album. Right, that's the story. Okay, so they actually were together before Frank came along, and they formed a um, I did an album that sold like a thousand couple of copies or whatever. But then Frank stumbled across them, thought they had such a great look, but they needed a better production. By better production, that he meant better vocals, and who was better? Somebody fucking else, because these niggas couldn't sing. Okay, so. He was like, okay, well, let's get some people, some demo singers to come in and sing the songs. He picked the singers and had these two boys singing and rapping in the videos as if it was them and performing and lip syncing the songs as if it was them. He signed them in 1988 with the promise that they would become millionaires. And in reality, they actually just got $4,000 a piece to lip sync for Millie Vanilli and they were in the projects. Okay. The German projects. He paid some of their bills, but he would threaten them if they decided not to do it, that he wanted his money back. If you didn't sing these songs, nigga, run me my dough and they couldn't afford it. So they continued with the dog and pony show and what a dog and pony show. Like they went platinum. Um, they had, or did they go platinum? They they got they made hits. Girl, you know it's true was number two in America. It was a worldwide hit, and they released an album that was completely written and produced by Frank. And we all talk about this here. It's no secret. Whoever writes and produces for the album is the one making the money. 
they didn't record a vocal on this bitch. Like they just showed up to the photo shoot and showed up to the video set and lip synced for their motherfucking lives. Like they were basically like puppets. I mean, they even won a Grammy. And like looking back on Millie Vanilli, I don't know, maybe because I know the story of Millie Vanilli. When I was a kid, it was they were like a joke. Well, even looking back on a video, I'm like, how do people take these motherfuckers seriously? They looked paranoid. Like, they looked down and out. Like, they looked kind of skeezy to me. But whatever, you know, what the fuck ever. I don't know what I would have been into at the time, like, if I was a kid of the 80s. Like, you know, they had a song called Don't Forget My Number. But I, I... I, it's kind of stuck in my head right now, so I could totally get it. And they had, like, three or four number one singles, like, hits, and won American Music Awards. Like, they were a big deal and didn't sing a lick, bitch. They had this white man singing for them. So, but if you ever heard these motherfuckers talk, you could clearly see that there's a complete difference in the way they spoke and the way they sung on the record. So Arista Records hired a dialect coach to make them sound like to to teach them to speak just like the record, just to keep this lie alive. And these are some gorgeous boys. I mean, they have a real um, Coco Dorm. I wouldn't even say Coco Dorm. They look a little bit more like um, what is it, Plantis, Pablo Plantis, or whatever that. And if you you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know what I'm talking about. If you do know what I'm talking about, you know what the fuck I'm talking about. And they had that look to them. So I guess they were hot, but they kind of look like they stunk to me. So anyway, they went on tour, um, a bunch of tours, and they actually had a lip sync fail on a tour. But it was like the record was skipping, like the CD was skipping, and it was like, girl, you know it's girl, you know it's. Like, it, it was skipping so much, and then Fab actually ran off the stage. He was so embarrassed. Like, he was running up to people, talking about he was quitting, he was quitting, he was quitting. But on that tour, it was a tour with Paula Abdul and other acts who were lip-syncing anyway, so nobody really noticed it. It didn't really make raise a lot of eyebrows. And this wasn't Twitter. This wasn't Instagram. This isn't one, any of these things where any instant moment that's happening right now is being recorded and shared with the world. Like. People didn't raise an eyebrow to it. So, but in December 1989, a person named Charles Shaw revealed in a magazine that he was actually a third vocalist in the album and was like, these motherfuckers is lying. Like, they are liars. They are imposters. And I, these are my vocals. And eventually some more niggas started speaking up. And, like, two women were like... No, I, girl, I put some vocals down on that motherfucker record too. Like, so Frank kind of barred all these people from the studio. At this point, he had a little money, he had a little muscle, so he kind of made them disappear. But it was already out there. These are in magazine publications. But Millie Vanilli were like, okay, this is our moment. You know, okay, people, if we're going to come out and do something, we're going to come out and do it our way. And we want to actually do our own voice and we wanted to do our own songs we want to write and we want people to 
feel where we're coming from and get to know our real voices. And like Frank, of course, said, hell no. And fired both of the motherfuckers back to the hood. And on November the 9th, um, 1990, uh, they were forced to get drug out of the closet. They had this whole press conference where they basically had to tell everybody that what went down, what was the what with what, and even tried to sing live in front of everybody to prove that they can actually sing. And what a motherfucking mess. Like, what a mess. There's a link in the description box to um, their performances and all that bullshit. But, girl, what a fucking mess. Like, they felt like they were seduced and they were abused. And they were wanting to prove that they could do it by themselves. And they were wrong. But... Even after all that, he later on admitted and came out the closet, Frank Farion, and was like, yeah, we did it. You caught us. But they were, Millie Vanilli were the ones who were the face of it. Frank, they didn't know who the fuck this motherfucker was. They couldn't pick him up out of a lineup. You know, and, and it was, um, it, it was tragic. Like, these people can never have a career, but Frank could go on and hide in some closet somewhere and still make money being a producer and a songwriter. But when things rain, it's poor. It pours. So a couple of days later, um, the Grammys were like, hey, bruh, come on off of them trophies. We need all them, bruh. And they had to forfeit their trophies. And then Arista Records dropped their asses too like they didn't know the whole time. And then fans and everybody started to sue them. Um, charging it with fraud. <laughs> like, and then there was other um lawsuits coming from um um the background singer. The actual singer started coming up and being like, "Okay, well, no, this is copyright for infringement. I got paid nothing, and y'all use my voice on these hits. I got to get mine." But of course, he didn't. And eventually, um, all the lawsuits and everything went, it, they were parodied everywhere for years and it just went left. So Frank went and recorded with the real voices of the real Millie Vanilli and, um, what was his name? The, the Millie Vanilli boys went on and recorded their own music using their real voice, which was like proto, like. They actually sounded okay, but by that time, it was a joke. Like, nobody was paying attention to them. And Fab went on to be a DJ at Kiss FM in L.A. And then went on and recorded a solo album in 2003. But um, the other one, um, the Light Bright one, um, couldn't live it down. Like, the, the um, it just got to him. And he spiraled out of control. He went to jail. DUI possession um even attempted robbery and eventually he overdosed in 1998 Germany and and Frank went on and recorded more music with the real Millie Vanilli and didn't give a fuck and that is the story of black exploitation and how I'm terrified of being the next Millie. So, 
So that's <laughs> the musical spotlight. I just, and then, you know, what's so crazy is, is like, how many times could this happen? Like, right now, and nobody will really know. Especially in such a digital era, and how, I don't know, like, I know one thing is that they said in the interview is that when they came to America, they knew that the shit hit the fan. Like, they knew they couldn't keep the lie alive, and all this, that, and the third. But I feel like if it wasn't for the accents, they would have made it. Because they were pretty. And one thing about Americans are, one thing about American people is that we really do let pretty people get away with a lot of ugly things. And um, I felt like if the boys weren't so, it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. Like, that was um, that was embarrassing. But if they could sing or, I don't know, if they probably would have just went to porn or something like that, they would have been just fine. Like, they could have made it. But the fact that they kept trying, and it was embarrassing. Like, they looked crazy. And they looked sloppy. Like, I don't understand how anybody really thought that they made it. But, and like, this man literally went to the hood and found them. I don't know. It's horrible. And it happens all the time. And I feel like, <sighs> but anyway, that's the segment. <laughs> Moving right along to the third and final segment, the love relationship and sex segment. This is my favorite segment. Before we move on, pause. You are just listening to this. You know, you have actually been hearing it played at your barbershop or something like that. And, you know, you just walked in. Uh, you got the text message that your, your barber got a, a cut, a seat for your cut, you know, and you're just listening in. Make sure you follow, subscribe, like, review, rate, and share this podcast. I don't do it for my health. You know? Make sure you do that. Give me five stars because we are at five stars across all streaming platforms. Yay! Like five stars. This about to be a year. Like, that's awesome. So I appreciate you guys' support. Um, continue on. But again, this is the love sex relationship um segment. And it's always usually really spicy. Sometimes we do a lot of work. It is very exhaust exhausting to do this segment. Um, because we can get deep. Talk about some deep rooted shit on this part. Um I want to talk about why people aren't wearing condoms anymore. And so I was Googling and I was talking about it. I'm like, is this this must not just be a gay thing? Like I always see people raw fucking now, and I knew that. The heteros, like, their biggest fear is just pregnancy. Like, so they just pull out and they don't wear condoms. But millennials aren't wearing condoms anymore, according to the New York Post. And again, this article is in the um, description of this show. Two years ago, Abby Norman was in the heat of the moment with the guy she was casually dating. He didn't have a condom. And the one she had on hand was expired. Norma, now 25, was raised to be diligent about reproductive health. So she didn't think twice asking about her partner's sexual history. How many partners did we, he have? When was the last time he was exposed to a sexually transmitted infection? Does he always use a condom? 
he was very shocked at how direct I was. And I don't think a woman's been that direct with him. Norman, a writer who lives in Camden, Maine, tells the Post. Her partner hesitated to answer her questions and that made her nervous. Unfortunately, Norman says this isn't the first time people have been put off by her concern of, for her own sexual health. I've gotten, tested, I've gotten teased by my partners and my peers and my diligence has been seen as a bit intense. Norman says, I feel like there's a culture of chill, of not wanting to be received as intense. Her friends aren't the only ones who has who are cavalier about the sex, their sexual health. A new report from the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention found a recent spike in STIs such as chlamydia, up nearly 6% since 2014, gonorrhea, up nearly 13%, and syphilis, up 19% among young people. The CDC says that almost 20 million new STIs occur every year. Over half of them affect afflicting people between the ages of 15 and 25, 24. The reason millennials are catching STIs quicker than the catch Pokemon are simply not using condoms. Why we are definitely seeing young people who don't practice safe sex, says Dr. Hansa, a WebMD medical editor and pediatrician based in Atlanta. In a casual relationship, if a person feels like they know the other person, they're less likely to practice um, protective sex. She says, referring to the Friends of Benefits phenomenon, the 2015 CDC study found that condom use among sexually active high schoolers dropped from 63% in 2003 to 57% in 2015. A study that same year by Skyne, Skin condoms found that 48% of millennials use condoms never or rarely. They're really constricting, says Nick, a 31-year-old content manager based in Brooklyn who hates condoms and rarely wears them because they don't feel good. All of them seem to fit differently. It doesn't feel organic and they usually are just generally unsexy, said Nick, who asked not to disclose his name, his last name for professional reasons. Nick says that while he obliges when his partner asks him to use protection, a few women actually prefer to go without it. I start using a condom on a girl I su- on, on end. The girl suggests I don't use one, but that happens rarely. He says Psych- psychotherapist and psych- sexologist Eric Garrison says he's seen a noticeable increase in SCIs among young people in the past 10 years and attributes it to popularity of social media. Sex is easier to do than to talk about. And the style of communication for young people is texting and short messages while you're tweeting this and tweeting about that. But talking about STI is more than 140 characters. Garrison tells the post, young people just don't have those communication skills. Other millennials say they're aware of the risks associated with unsafe sex, but they, that they sometimes forget that they're chosen from form of protection doesn't prevent all STIs. Gay men such as Ben, a 29 year old designer based at, based out in Hell's Kitchen says the rise of PrEP, a pill that helps prevent HIV infection, coupled with the fact that young gay men didn't live through the AIDS epidemics of the 80s, has made his peers more nonchalant about STIs and less inclined to use condoms. Similarly, women sometimes believe that because they've received the human papillonium vaccine, they too are at low risk. There's kind of a mindset that PrEP protects you from HIV and other STIs are curable. 
says Ben, and who didn't want to use his last name for professional reasons. I feel like a lot of gays here don't use condoms, even though that's not my thing. For heterosexual couples, the fear of unintended pregnancy often outweighs the fear of STIs, leading them to opt for forms of protection that guard against the former, but not the latter. Leah, a 25-year-old beautician who contracted chlamydia from her high school friend in 2014 after having unprotected sex, says that because she was on birth control and she knew her partner, she didn't feel that she was at risk as an STI. I'm a trusting person. I knew him, and I usually never asked guys their sexual history before because I assumed if someone was was aware of it, they'd have taken it, taken care of it, or before I did. That Leah, who did not disclose her name for professional reasons, tells the post. After the STI scare, Leah says she has been abstinent for seven months. To me, it was a wake-up call to be more protective and not so willy-nilly about using protection. I, I have no comment here. <laughs> I, you know, I've been caught... And, you know, I was with someone and I have had unprotected sex a few, a few times and I hate it. <laughs> I, it's like one of those things where you are so excited, but you know, that going to get that checkup and testing and waiting and, oh my God, that relief that you get makes you not even want to fuck ever again. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're just like, oh, my God, I don't want to do this shit. But, you know, I always say that, you know, you have to be grown. If you feel like you're grown enough to fuck, you have to be grown enough to come with responsibilities with it. And that's including despite how good it feels or how long you know that person or what kind of relationship y'all are in. You know, you need to be protective of yourself. And, you know, nobody's perfect when it comes to these kind of things. But, child, we got to do better. Like, I have not seen... I. I literally have not seen a condom anywhere in a long ass time. There used to, I live in Atlanta. There used to be a condom on every fucking ground, every fucking where. I haven't seen one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, am I, am I crazy? When was the last time you saw a condom? You might be a condom user, but like outside of your bedroom, when was the last time you saw a condom? Like, normally you would see them in bathrooms, you would see them. Out on the ground, condom wrappers everywhere outside of the club. No. No. No, honey. There are no condoms anymore. My God. Like, I have not seen a condom in, in so long. Like, out and about. Like, a long time ago, like, we used to see condoms. Do you know? Am I the only one? Tweet me at Carmine Davis, Instagram.com slash Carmine Davis, um, Instagram.com slash Carmine Davis show. Tell me when was the last time you saw a condom? And yeah, okay, you use condoms outside of your bedroom. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There was a time when like condoms were everywhere. You could just go grab one. There were, you can go to any bathroom, put a couple of quarters in and go get a condom. They don't have them anymore. There used to be like big condom like sections in stores and Walmarts now. Now it's like a little discreet little section. It like it's like Do y'all know what I'm talking about? People do not use condoms anymore. That is crazy. 
Okay, well, I guess that's my show. I don't. Wow, I'm I'm gonna do my research and I'm gonna tweet y'all and I'm gonna tell y'all how many condoms that I see outside of my bedroom from here until next week. And I want y'all to do the same for me. Tweet me, let me know. <laughs> this is crazy. All right, well, I love y'all. Um, I'm exhausted. I can't wait for y'all to see my project that I'm working on. Three more weeks. And then this is season finale of the Carmine Davis show. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like my first season is down. Like, wow. But God bless y'all. I will see y'all next week. Love you. Bye.